Welcome to the recap, the portion of Passing Out Loud, where we look back on the previous week's sermon recap or resting extensively, creating appropriate <laughs> portions, peace, creating appropriate peace. That's my acronym I just came up with. You almost thought that through. I didn't think about it at all, actually, before I started, but we're recapping Genesis 14. Nick. Hi. Talk to me more about Cheddar Leomer. Cheddar. Cheddar Leomer. Could you just read through the genealogy Kidder. again for us? <laughs> no, I Daniel did really a great job it. doing that. Daniel, you did do a, um, a good job. Yeah, I had almost as many comments about how well you did reading that as I did on my sermon. <laughs> well, I uh, I didn't want to do what happened in this room many months ago yeah, I was when there. someone else read through it and there was much rejoicing at the video captured of that person reading through it, which maybe we'll just trot that out sometime, sometime soon. So Nick preached uh, Genesis 14. Uh, Nick, just uh, what's in Genesis 14? What's some of the general overarching content just by way of recap? Yeah, so it starts out with this battle between the kings uh, that we see. Cater Leomer, not Cheddar, although... I guess you could say it that way if you wanted to. Cater <laughs> Leomer is better with the Hebrew, but yeah, keep going. Yeah. Better than cheddar. Yep. <clears throat> so there's this territorial skirmish, and in the course of the battle, uh, Abram's nephew and his kinsmen get captured because Sodom gets taken over, and that's where they were settling. So Abram walks into the battle and, uh, by faith, trusts the promises of God and defeats uh, the the army, the, the king's men, and then delivers back the, the people um, to Lot and his kinsmen. And then they meet in the battlefield, uh, Abram and the king of Sodom, and this other guy shows up completely out of nowhere named Melchizedek, king of Salem. And so uh, we just kind of looked at who is this guy, and it turns out he points to Jesus in some fairly amazing ways. Um, and serves kind of as a foil in the story to the wicked king of Sodom. Um, he's the king of righteousness, the king of peace, king of Jerusalem. He's a high priest of God who offers blessing and intercession for Abram. And all of those things point to Jesus in some significant ways. Oh, that's great. Sounds like an awful lot in that chapter. Uh, yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, there was. A lot. What uh, what questions Jeepers. do you guys have? Well, just is there anything that you didn't get a chance to go through? Because you like to yeah. some degree, you know, you didn't you didn't spend as much time on the actual battle or the ins oh. and outs of what was taking place. Here comes the lawnmower. Oh, there's a lawnmower outside. I don't know if you can hear that on the podcast. The lawnmower just went by. So you, there was, you know, the, the greater portion of the actual text is this battle for Kings V five fight round yep. one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, you know, uh, it seems to be more the background for what happens later in the chapter. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in that first, you know, three fifths or four fifths of the chapter you wish you could have dug in on more? Are you pretty happy with it? Would there be anything in the later part of the chapter about Melchizedek that you wanted to unpack more? Just any place you didn't get to go that you would have wanted. To. I mean, I touch. I think I touched on everything I wanted to say on those. I could have expanded a little bit more on, you know, the territory of settling, you know, near Sodom and bringing out more how those cities really were wicked and those kings, um, not Abram, not really wanting anything to do with them, but, uh, you know, rescuing his, his nephew. 
Um, so I think that was mainly what I, what I would have wanted to go in a little bit deeper on. Um, and even just explaining a little bit more how the difference between how Abram treats the king of Sodom versus how he treats Melchizedek. You know, he really is viewing Melchizedek, the, the greater is blessing the lesser. Um, and so could have brought that out a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that would have been a little bit more fun to go into more was the different views on who Melchizedek is. Um, and, you know, you kind of just mentioned a a lot of the early church fathers think pre-incarnate Christ. Right. Um, but just kind of mentioned that, but then said the main reasons why you didn't think so. Are there more views than just those two? Yeah, I think the other one, there's a third view. Some think he's an angel. Um, like an angel of the Lord, kind of the way that that gets talked about in different places. Right. And, you know, is that a theophany, you know, type of thing? Um, I think that has the least support. I mean, we don't really have any reason to think that he's an angel. Uh, the, the support for him being the pre-incarnate Christ, you know, comes from all the things that I mentioned, you know, king of righteousness, king of peace, Peace, uh, King of Jerusalem. And then in Hebrews 7, um, the verse that I think a lot of people point to, let me just go there quick. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's Hebrews 7, 8. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. So he's talking about the mortal priests yep. being tithed to. But in, um, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. And so that's a, I think that's one of the verses... Um, that people point to like, yeah, Melchizedek, you know, not mortal, he lives, everlasting. And Hmm. I think that's the verse that they point to for their case for him being the pre-incarnate Christ. I think that that's more talking in the context of this chapter of the eternal nature of his priesthood, um, which gets brought out, uh, you know, one might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. And then it continues on, and it's just it talk, it's talking about how his priesthood never ends. So the living priesthood of Christ is what I think that's pointing to, not the actual Melchizedek. Yeah, good. Dave, Stacy, do you guys have any questions for Nick or any observations about the sermon? Well, I kind of asked you. I'll ask it now on the podcast. Yeah. But, so back to our biblical theology podcast and that discussion. So Melchizedek is a type. Yeah. Yeah, pointing that, ahead to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how I would <clears throat> how, how I would view him and I I kind of tried to what's a type show our Remind people us what a type yeah, is. Yeah. I kind of tried to show our people typology without using the term. Yeah. Um but a type is something, it's a picture or it's a theme or it's something um a pattern that points forward to something greater beyond itself, which is why I use the road sign analogy pointing to the real thing down the road. So I think that Melchizedek is the type of the great high priest that points to the priesthood and kingship of Jesus as the ultimate priest king. So he is, Melchizedek is the type and then Jesus is the antitype who fulfills all those Mm -hmm. things perfectly. So yeah, that's exactly what I would, how I would talk about him. Yep. Dave, got anything? I was also wondering, like, how did this passage and preparing to preach it help you love God? Like, how did it stir up love for God? I mean, just seeing, (laughs) 
meditating on the kingship and the priesthood of Christ is really cool because you think of a king as someone who's ruling, you know, and people will bow down. And sometimes you think of earthly kings as, you know, ruling by force. You will bow or there will be punishment. And in a sense, that's true of Jesus, but he is also the priest who is making intercession on behalf of his people. So he's like making a way for us to approach the throne without fear of condemnation. And so not only is he the one who's ruling and reigning, but he's the one who's making a way mm-hmm. for people to come to him, which is so comforting to know that that's the kind of king that we serve. You know, and in Christ, we don't have to fear his condemnation. We don't have to fear his wrath because he made the sacrifice himself, which is so amazing and comforting. And it just caused me to freely (laughs) worship again. Mm -hmm. Praise God that that's the kind of king and priest that we have. Um, So yeah, it was, it was a very worshipful text. And, you know, that's the reason that we ended with before the throne. We have a great high priest who is ever living and interceding on our behalf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the part that stuck with me the most, I think, after the sermon was that Jesus is praying for you right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Like always. That's what he's doing. That's just so encouraging. Yep. And again, his priesthood never ends. So we have that eternal hope. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave wanted to say something about uh, one thing about the trained men, yeah. the 318 trained men. You made a, a comment, something about like, uh, what was it you said, Dave? <laughs> you make me do, make you do it. That's fine. We can talk about uh, that. When I, to Nick's sorry, not sorry comment to me on Sunday, <laughs> when I prepared to preach this and then Nick made me switch weeks because he needed me to. Dave and I, offered. And I graciously offered to do that. He offered. Um, <laughs> I had I, I came to a little bit of a different uh, landing place on how trained Abram's men were. So I was just curious because you made it, you kind of made it a big deal that they weren't trained in a sense. And yeah. when, I, when I was reading through it, I think that they, sorry, not sorry. I think that they were a little <laughs> bit more trained than you think they were. <laughs> yeah. And I think there there's probably different views on exactly how trained they were. My point was just that when you think about these guys, don't think like, um, it's not like a huge army battalion, you know, with big weapons and like just sheerly overpowering these kings by force. They probably did have some sort of battle training. They were probably, and you know, the, the things that I read about them is you talked about them having some sort of basic weaponry, you know, stick training, some hand-to-hand combat, combat some strategy that they would have in mind, which is why they probably split. You know, it talks about how they went in the night and divided themselves. And then, you know, so they clearly had a plan and they were trained in some way. I just don't think that they were like, oh, the King's men didn't have any chance against these guys because they're so, you know, of their military prowess and things like that. Sure. So that's all I was trying to bring out. Good enough, Daniel. Yes, Dave. (laughs) Thank you for uh, interacting on the podcast. Yeah, that's good. So the main point of Genesis 14 essentially is what, Nick? Like you'd say the main point behind it all, just restate it is. Well, the main point is that um, Melchizedek is pointing to Christ. And the way that Abram interacts with Melchizedek, this king of righteousness, uh, 
is showing a trust in the promises of God and a pointing forward to the great high priest who's to come. So may we trust God and his promises that Jesus is that high king and high priest for us. We're seeing Abraham, Abram as a prototype saint. Yeah. He's like, he's like, we should see him in line with us and all these promises and types are pointing forward. Straight to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Nick, thanks so much for preaching, man. You bet. You bet.